Hi, everybody. It's Kenny. So we had a technical problem tonight when we were recording the service video uh, for this week. So we got a little over halfway through our service and the video cut out. So what I've decided to do is I'm going to share this week's announcements um, with you in just a second. And then I'm re-recording the message for this week. Um, so this is going to double as the podcast for the week uh, for those of you who want to, to keep up as we get started with the new year. So um, our apologies for not having a video um, like we intended. Um, the hope is that next week, if you're someone who is staying home right now um, out of an abundance of caution, that next week we'll have a, an actual video of the Saturday night service posted on Sunday morning for you to watch. And we'd be excited for you to follow along with that. But for now, um, hey, the good news is you can throw this uh, recording on and you can walk around your house, do chores, do whatever you need to do. Um, you don't have to watch anything. So that's pretty nice. But either way, um, I'm going to get started here in a second, and I hope that you enjoy it, and we'll uh, try to have all these bugs straightened out for next week. Thank you very much. So we're going to start with the weekly announcements for this week. There are a few of them. The first is just letting you know, as I hinted a moment ago, that uh, for, the, for the next few weeks, we are keeping with the format that we are using this week in terms of our gathering. So we're going to be gathering next Saturday um, at the normal time at Heritage, but we're going to continue to keep that as a, as a super streamlined and simplified affair. So we're going to have minimal staff involved. Um, we're going to have a smaller band. We're also not going to be opening up Rev Kids for another week as we try to make sure that those folks who feel comfortable coming out uh, to worship together don't um, kind of have a, have like mix-ups um, or, or sort of cross-contaminations between family groups, which is a weirdly medical way of saying it. But the gist is that we want to make sure that in order to keep folks safe while Maryland kind of goes through the current surge that we're in, um, that we, we make sure folks are kind of grouping together with the folks that they're uh, going to be exposed to anyways. And hopefully that keeps um, any kind of spread from happening at our gatherings. So um, it's not an ideal situation, and we're hoping that that it's only a few more weeks of these of these kinds of services until we can kind of get back to to normal um, as this surge recedes. So uh, please be in prayer for that, and know that next week we will be gathering in a limited capacity, and then to compensate for that, we'll also be recording the service, hopefully more successfully than we did this week, and sharing it online on Sunday morning. The second announcement has to do with our lay leadership openings. So back at the end of November, we had a family meeting and we talked about lay leadership openings or, or two openings on our lay leadership team, which is sort of the governing board of our church. Those two openings were in the areas of generosity and weekly services, um, and those openings are still there. And so I wanted to put this back on everybody's radar um, and, and encourage you that if you're somebody who... Um, you're passionate about our church, um, you care about our community and our future, and maybe you're somebody who doesn't really think of yourself as a leader or think of yourself as somebody who's been around long enough um, to be in a position on our leadership team. I just want to encourage you by saying, um, again, that right now, um, like this, we, we are this church. This church is us. And, um, and if you're a steady part of this church, then you have a role to play. Our leadership team isn't meant to be uh, a place of prestige or a place where we're just honoring the seniors 
among us. Um, the goal is that our leadership team is for people who are passionate about our church and that it's a team where you can grow um, and develop as a leader yourself um, by being a part of it. So if you're all interested in either of those roles, then please talk to me um, or you can talk to Andy Guzik, who's the chair uh, of our leadership team, to get more information. We would love to have those roles filled um, by the spring of this year. So um, please, if, you, if you've been thinking about it, um, but you've been kind of putting it off, I would encourage you um, to pray this week and to ask God um, to give you some clarity and, and wisdom and guidance as to whether or not this is something that you should at least explore uh, by talking to one of us. So I hope that you'll be thinking about it. And, um, and I'm sure we'll share more in the weeks to come. And then our final announcement has to do with devotionals and our online Bible study. So back during Advent, we shared a copy of Scott Erickson's book, Honest Advent, with everybody at the church. And it seems like a lot of you guys actually really did use it and really did enjoy it. And so um, I want to encourage you to start 2022 by keeping up the habit. So um, there are a couple of ways you can do that. Number one, I want to make you aware that there are actually more Scott Erickson books. So if you really liked Honest Advent and you like to continue to read, he has two other um, daily devotional guides, one on the Lord's Prayer and one on the practice of prayer itself, um, which you can find um, online. You can also get kind of a, an introduction to those through the reading plans that you can find on the YouVersion app, which is a way that a lot of folks um, keep up with the daily devotional and then finally, um, you can also, if, you, if you're looking for that kind of accountability that comes from a community, then you can join our online Bible study group here at Revolution, which meets on Monday nights virtually and is a great way. Um, what that group does is they read through Bible study plans, um, typically through the YouVersion app, although they did read through Honest Advent together. And then they meet once a week um, to talk about what they're learning and to pray for each other. Um, that group's been a really, really wonderful um, group through the pandemic, and they would love they would love for you to join. So if you'd like to learn more information about that, you can talk to John Connolly, who's the leader of that group, or you can talk to me and I can get you in touch with the right folks. So those are our announcements for this evening. Um, I'm going to take just a little pause here in a second, and then I'll get started with this week's sermon. Thanks for listening. All right. So tonight we are kicking off the new year by introducing our teaching theme for 2022. And that theme is uncertainty. In planning for this theme, the preaching team and I thought a lot about the moment that we are in right now. And it was important to us that we focus our sermons this year on ways that we can best live and respond to where things actually are. And at the same time, we also wanted to continue building on where we've been. Last year, we talked all year long about hope, specifically permission to hope. And we need to begin this year by saying that that conversation must continue. The hope that we've been exploring, the hope that we can find and that we can hold only through our relationship with our God, that hope is and it's always going to be our anchor as Christians. But to say we have hope in one moment doesn't at all mean that our hope isn't going to waver or tremble in the next one. And so in 2022, we want to spend our time digging more deeply into both the way our hope can grow and also the pitfalls that can hold that growth back. 
exploring uncertainty, or more specifically than that, our desire for certainty and our discomfort when we're unable to find it. Exploring uncertainty, that is the bedrock of this conversation. And so this is where we're going to focus our time. We want to wonder this year, what does it mean to be certain? What does it mean to be sure? Why do we live in a world that seems to have been created to frustrate certainty? And what do God's patterns of revelation and deliverance and sometimes his seeming silence towards us, what do those things teach us about how we are meant to be and how we're meant to live? Now, seeing as how this is the first message of the year, I don't want to bury our lead here. So here's what we're going to be wrestling with in 2022. Here's the big, bold sentence at the start of our year. It goes like this. Certainty isn't the same thing as confidence. And God's pattern of behavior in history and in scripture calls us to confidence. 2021 was a big year, and it was a tough year for all of us for a whole host of reasons. But one reason that it was both big and tough for me personally is because 2021 was the year that I quit smoking. Now, some of you know this and some of you don't, but for essentially all of my adult life, I've been a smoker. The habit never, quote, got out of control in that smoking for me never escalated to like a -a pack-a-day habit or a behavior that created these big rifts in my relationship. But it was something that I hid, and it was also something that I spent... Um, you know, I spent the last several years, maybe not as a pack a day guy, but as a one or two cigarettes a day guy. Um, and for a lot of those years, I'm, if I'm honest, I wrestled with when and how and why I should ever quit. I tried, um, kind of half-heartedly a few times. I did that thing, uh, where I would buy a pack And then I would have like one cigarette from it. And then I would throw the rest of the pack away and kind of swear that this is it. That was my last one. I remember one time this happened on one of the, one of the trips that I had taken when I was a teacher out West and, and I like buried it. I like had a cigarette and then I buried the rest of the pack like in the dirt on the side of a mountain, um, which is a violation of leave no trace principles. So I, I regret that on, on multiple levels. But anyways, every time I do that, every time I I quote unquote quit, I would, you know, it'd be just a couple days and then I would cave. And for most of this time, um, for most of this time, the biggest obstacle, the biggest justification that I used for my behavior was that I couldn't really convince myself that it was making any real difference in my life to be a smoker. I didn't feel short of breath. I wasn't spending huge amounts of money. Nobody was ever really asking me to stop or complaining to me about it. To tell the truth, it felt like my little thing. Maybe you have a little thing too. It was this private vice that I relied on to relax or to process stress. And I remember thinking many times that if I knew it was going to kill me, 
when I was 60. And I would quit for sure, right? But did I know that? I would joke sometimes that the worst thing would be to go through all the trouble of quitting and end up getting hit by a bus. Like, what a waste, right? And so, and so I just kept going. Cigarette after cigarette, pack after pack, year after year. And then last year, on my birthday, I told my family that I didn't want to be a smoker at 40. And so I told them I would take my 39th year to break the habit. I gave myself 365 days to quit, which is kind of ridiculous. And after tons of procrastinating over the last year, and after a lot of excuses and, and, a, and a little bit of backsliding, I can report that, it, that it's mostly happened, that it has happened. This last Thursday was my 40th birthday, and my smoking habit is broken. But here's the thing. It sucks. It sucks a lot. And do you want to know why? It sucks because in those moments when I'm craving a cigarette, all I can think, all I can think, is that I'm still not sure that this is making any difference. That bus could still be coming for me. Or the cancer cells could already be hiding out somewhere in my body. I've made this health decision that might never make a difference. And I won't even really know for 20 more years. Here's why I'm bringing this up. I'm bringing it up because this week I realized that all this time, what I've really been wrestling with, it's not smoking. I've been wrestling with certainty. I've been wrestling with certainty. I would have stopped smoking sooner if I just could have known for sure that something bad was on its way. And I'm struggling now still with having stopped at all because I still don't know for sure if it's made any difference. I feel, I feel like I would have had such an easier time or I would still have such an easier time making decisions if life could just give me data, right? If it could give me some clarity, some guarantees about how any of this is going to work out. Do you know what I mean? Do you, do you feel this way sometimes? Like if I just knew what would happen, I would make a better choice. My parents used to do this for me, right? I, I had rules when I was a kid and if I broke those rules, I got consequences, and school used to do this for me. If I had assignments and I did them, then I, I would get good grades. But life doesn't seem to have gotten this memo. And if I just knew what would happen, if I just knew what would happen, I would do what I'm supposed to do. But what I've started to realize lately is that the whole time that I have been waiting on certainty the truth is I've been living in confidence. I've been living in confidence. I might not have known that my choices were hurting me when I was a smoker, but I was acting as if they wouldn't. Which means I was putting my trust in myself. And I guess I was putting it in my ability to, to I guess, just not get sick, right? And what I'm learning is that this is always the choice that we are making every minute of every day. 
Are we placing our confidence in ourselves or are we trusting someone else? The search for certainty, I'm beginning to think, amounts to little more than a stall tactic. If I can't be sure that you know what's best for me, I must know. But do I? Do I? Our first teaching text for the year gets at just this tension. Although I would contend that we often miss it when we hear the story. It's found in the 14th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. And you've likely heard the story before. It's the story where Jesus walks on water. And then he calls his disciple Peter to walk out on the water to him. Here's how the story goes. You can find it in Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. The boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water. And he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. More often than not, when we read the story, we focus on Peter's fear. That's the moment we, we settle on, we center on. Peter set his eyes on Jesus. He began to do something miraculous. And then Peter let his concerns for worldly things distract him and he sank. There's an easy lesson in that reading of the story. The lesson is keep your eyes on Jesus. It's such an easy lesson. There are probably a hundred hymns and worship songs that say some version of, of exactly that. But I'm not sure if that's actually the best takeaway from the story. And the reason I'm not sure is because I think that takeaway ignores two really important bits of context. First, the first bit of context comes from the fact that Matthew 14 comes after Matthew chapter 9. I'm sorry, actually, Matthew chapter 8. It does come after Matthew chapter 9 as well. But in chapter 8, there's this brief story in verses 23 through 27. Then Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? 
even the winds and the waves obey him. So the question is, what does the story in Matthew 8 teach? Well, it taught the disciples, and among those disciples, certainly there was a guy named Peter. It taught them that even the winds and the waves obey Jesus. And this matters because although when Peter steps out of the boat and he sees the wind and he sees those waves, Peter knows, he knows freshly, he knows personally that Jesus is still in charge. He knows Jesus can calm the waves just as he once calmed that storm, which means the question, the thing that Peter doesn't know, is why Jesus hasn't done that. He doesn't know why Jesus is asking him to step out of the boat when there are still waves everywhere. And that, I think, is what erodes Peter's confidence, specifically because it introduces an uncertainty. What's going on here? Is, is Jesus limited to one miracle at a time? He can, he can do water walking, but not storm calming. You have to choose. Is, is Jesus setting some kind of a trap for Peter? Or maybe, and this is the one that, that sticks, sticks with me, do you think Peter feared that Jesus was just a bit aloof, that maybe he was so powerful, so magical, that he didn't always think about Peter or the other disciples' perspective? He's, he's helping Peter walk on water. He's not thinking about the waves. What happens here is, it's not so much that Peter doubts, but Peter's afraid He's a bit confused, and he has good reason to be. What in the world is God getting him into? The second bit of context that matters here is Peter's job before he became a disciple. We'll learn about this actually even earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4 this time, which says, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers. They were Simon. His other name was Peter and Andrew, his brother. They were putting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And once they left their nets and followed him. I think this tells us two really important things about that story in chapter 14. First, it tells us that Peter is someone who would be comfortable on water. It all but confirms for us that Peter knows how to swim. And this matters because sinking, even in waves, if you know how to swim, isn't some instant death sentence. And the second thing it tells us is that Peter knows boats. He and Andrew are dropping nets from a boat in the very moment they meet Jesus. Jesus even references this in his recruitment speech. And this, I think, is the key detail. I think this is the thing that puts what Jesus asks Peter to do in its full context. Jesus asks Peter to get out of the boat. Jesus asks Peter to take an uncertain step in an uncertain environment for an unclear and an uncertain purpose away from the very thing that Peter would have the most certainty about. Fishermen trust boats. Boats are what keep them alive. Boats are what make work possible. But nobody knows anything about water walking. So Peter is quite literally walking from the known into the unknown at Jesus' request. Except, of course, it isn't at Jesus' request, is it? Let's look at that passage one more time. 
Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? When I quit smoking, I started to realize that I'm always putting my confidence somewhere. Every moment, I'm always acting on what I believe to be most true, even if I don't know what's certain. When I was smoking, I was placing my confidence in myself, right? And now that I've quit, I'm placing my confidence in what doctors and researchers are saying will happen if I were to keep smoking. The truth is I was never neutral, that I never hovered somewhere above my own life, gathering all the facts before making a decision. I was living by confidence the whole time. And certainty was this never reachable, always just beyond my grasp phantom that I would use, if I'm honest, that I would use to ignore that all this time I was really just trusting myself. For a fisherman, a boat feels like certainty. But it isn't. Boats sink, boats tip over. We know Peter knows this because Peter's one of those guys freaking out just a few chapters earlier when Jesus calms the storm. But fishermen, just like the rest of us, fishermen are quick to rebuild the illusion of certainty in order to justify self-confidence. Which is what makes what Peter does in this story incredible. When he sees Jesus walking on the water, whose idea is it to step away from the boat? It's his. It's Peter who says, tell me to come to you. It's Peter who's trying to shift where his confidence lies from himself, from his boat, to this unbelievable man that he has chosen to follow. When Jesus says, come, Peter gets out of the boat and Peter starts to do the impossible. He walks on water, but shortly his fears, rational fears, start to wear him down. And this makes sense. It's totally reasonable. And as a result, he begins to sink. But then the big moment comes. The the big turn happens, which I think is what we always get so wrong about this story. Because then, as Peter is sinking, this fisherman, this swimmer, this guy who is surely no more than a few feet from the boat in which he has placed his certainty for his whole life, this guy cries out, Lord, save me. Why doesn't he swim? Why doesn't he call out to the others who 
are probably closer and who are also much less mysterious and strange than Jesus? Why doesn't he call out to these guys who surely have rescued flailing swimmers before? Because Peter's confidence is in Jesus. Or at least what this story shows us is that he wants it to be. He keeps looking at Jesus, even in the moment when his fear could be driving him back to where he's comfortable, to the, to the illusion of certainty. This year, we're going to be talking a lot about confidence and certainty. And in a nutshell, here's where we can start the conversation this week. For a million reasons, we all want certainty in our lives, especially in times like these when answers and clarity feel so hard to come by. I get that. But we also, we also need to pause and consider what it means for our God to have created a world where certainty is so rare, where so much is unknown and even unknowable, where our perception is so limited, and most importantly, a world where the desire for certainty so often leads us to end up putting all of our trust only in ourselves. What does it mean for a God to have made a world like that? What if what if what it means is that we're really meant what we're really meant to chase isn't certainty. What we're really meant to chase is confidence. The problem isn't that we don't need saving. The problem is that We prefer to try and save ourselves. And yet, the story of Scripture, the revelation of God, and the experiences that we have with the Holy Spirit teach us the same things over and over and over and over again. They teach us that God is capable and that God is trustworthy. That's the the message over and over. The Bible the Bible is not a magic answer book with a hundred rules for right living, even if we wish it was, because it would feed our, our, our desire for certainty if it was a book like that. It isn't that, though. The Bible is a testimony, a testimony that God, the God of the universe, both desires and is worthy of your confidence. And stories like Peter walking on water exist to teach us that in order to put our confidence in God, in order to put our confidence in God, we have to begin by taking our confidence out of ourselves. We have got to stop making excuses for why we are our own best bet. We've got to stop falling for the old lie that if we just knew a little bit more, if we could just be a little more sure that we would for sure make the right decision. We're always placing our confidence somewhere. We're always living out trust in someone. But what if a new way, what if 
hear me, what if a better way to think about your journey with faith is as a series of opportunities to take little steps, little exercises in trust towards real confidence in God actually being who he says he is. That's so important, so I'm going to say it again. What if a new way, a better way to think about your journey with faith is as a series of opportunities to take little steps, little exercises in trust towards real confidence in God actually being who he says he is. Contrary to popular opinion, there is nothing about scripture, there is nothing about Jesus' journey with his disciples that suggests to us that this thing is a one-time, all-at-once decision. The truth is that what we actually see in the Bible, what we actually see in the history of the church, what, what I've seen in my own life, is that God is patient God is willing to earn our trust even when he doesn't need to. And he is forgiving in the moments when we panic and we try to scramble back into our boats. God desires our confidence and he's worthy of it. So what if this is the year that we all try to Take those small steps together. What if that's what church becomes here at Revolution in 2022? Maybe for you, your boat that you need to get out of is is financial security. You're somebody who wants to live more generously. You just need to make a little more money first. You need to be a little more secure. I've been there. Maybe that's you. And if that's you, here's what I would say. Look around you. Look at this community that God has drawn you into and know that, hey, you're safe. We're here for you. So take that small step. Give $10 a month to a cause that you support or a neighbor. Just put it in your neighbor's mailbox every you know, first of the month or give it to a ministry you believe in, whatever it is, move towards generosity one little step and see what happens in your heart and in your life. Maybe your boat is relational security. You know that closer and deeper relationships would be good for you, especially now, especially in the middle of year three of a pandemic but you're ultimately afraid to trust anyone more than you trust yourself. So to you, I would say again, look around. Look at the people in this community. Is it possible that you're safe enough here to take one small step? And if a friendship you invest in holds your weight, then to take another Maybe your boat is is workaholism. I think that's mine. You're somebody who needs to earn everybody's respect in order to feel worthy. Can you take a step out of that boat? Can you let some things fall by the wayside and trust that the people who love you are going to love you anyway? 
Maybe your boat is politics. Hear me out. You fill your week with news and podcasts and voices that help you feel certain that you are right all the time, that you are so right. But deep down, you wonder, if I, were to take, if I were to take just a little step out of my bubble, would everything fall apart? I think the, the message today, the challenge today, is to climb over the side of the boat. The water's fine. Our boats are a false sense of security. Our boats are a hollow confidence. And what we have a chance to choose instead is a living and a real relationship, not just with anybody, but with a God who might actually be worthy of our trust. A God who's willing to take things a step at a time and who reaches down for us when we stumble, when we sink. All of this is to say that uncertainty, the uncertainty isn't something to fear. The uncertainty is an opportunity to think through our confidence and where we're placing it. So let's walk this out together this year. Let's walk it out bravely and walk it out trusting that we're not alone. I'll pray for us. God, it's scary to look at this world and all the things that we don't know. But I pray, God, that you will you'll turn some dials inside of us, that you'll, you'll give us an openness and a receptivity that that's, that's uncommon and natural to us. You'll help us to have the courage to, to consider that maybe, maybe the certainty we're chasing is an idol. Maybe the certainty we're chasing has always just been a mirror. And the truth is that what you are offering, the way you've built this world, isn't, isn't so that we can always know everything, but God, so that we can trust even in the midst of what we don't fully know. And that in that process of trusting and being supported, of trusting and seeing you come through for us, that something something better than knowledge grows, that we build a relationship with you, that that's what you want from us, is not not just just our trust when we know everything, but God, that, that we'll have faith in the relationship you give us a chance to build with you. God, thank you for, for making this world hard. God, thank you for telling us over and over again that you're trustworthy. And I pray, God, that you will show me, that you'll show everybody at this church one little step we can take, that this will be a year of little steps, little steps of faith, little steps of trust, of choosing confidence over certainty, and that we'll gather back here a year from now and we'll be able to tell stories of what we've seen and what we've learned and learned and how we've grown. God, we love you. We're grateful for you. Help us to have confidence even when it's hard. Help us to grow. In your son's name, amen. 
All right, folks, thanks for listening this week. Um, I'm sorry that we aren't able to include the worship, but um, I look forward to seeing all of you next Saturday night if you're comfortable making it. If not, like I said, we'll we'll make sure that we, we get this thing right then. So until then, hope you have great weeks. Be safe. Take care. Um, and I love you guys, and, and I miss you. See you soon.